I'm Kate Daniels. May is Foster Care Awareness Month. There's a great need in our nation for good foster homes, good foster families. Ed Hagem spent many years in the foster care system in his early life, so he has both important insights to share and a successful life to demonstrate how good foster care can make a world of difference in a child's life. He joins us today to speak about this and his memoir, On the Road Less Traveled, An Unlikely Journey from the Orphanage to the Boardroom. Good morning, Ed Hey Jim. Good morning, Kate. Thanks for having me. Oh, well, I am so grateful for this opportunity. It's wonderful to speak with someone like you to provide inspiration and uh, encouragement, so many great things. And I'm so pleased that there is a book to accompany this so that uh, people of all ages can access it and hear about your story. We're going to talk about some of that this morning, right? Right. I, I've had exceeded all my expectations. I felt after the first couple of months I would just let it go, but it's gotten to be, you know, it's very satisfying to listen to people say that really it helps them and it inspires, inspires them. And, you know, each person sort of gets a lesson out of it. And I've gotten wonderful emails and letters from people saying, thanking me for writing it. So and we sold over 10,000 copies, which my publicist says for non-celebrity is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so that's wonderful news that it's already... It is good news. I, I, I'm having fun with it. And, and uh, uh, young people in particular take, take a really... Uh, lessons from it. and that's why my focus is to get some young people over that that hump in that sort of a 16 to 25 year old period when things make a lot of good decisions and a lot of bad decisions exactly and certainly life always has challenges and we each period that comes along we perhaps think oh this is the most challenging but you know when we look at your life you started out with so many hardships that I could see so many times you could have really gone down a very bad path, and yet there was something about you, something in you that just kept you moving forward and upward. Uh, you know, there would be, I guess, little plateaus, right? But uh, oh yeah, there were plateaus. There were some, you know, sort of very weak periods. But it, you know, I really had a hunger to, you know, have the good life, and and had I had some good mentors. I mean that. Early stage, you know, the Catholic schools in those days were very strict, and they gave you the rules. And if you were a good person, you did well, and if you weren't a good person, you didn't do well. Things like that. And my father supported me. He was he abandoned me three times in the first you know fifteen years, but he was always very supportive. He always convinced me that I was a special person, and I think that's what everybody needs is someone to believe in them, even though they may not be around. And so. You know, it's it's that that's was one of the important things. Also, I hate to say it, the movies have changed. In those days, on a Saturday afternoon, you could go to the movies, and the good people always won. You know, the John Waynes and Jimmy Stewart's, and the, you know those those kind of people did did well on the silver screen, and and you could sort of say that's something that I wanted and really wanted. So it was a. But you're right. I, I look at other children who, you know, and I in the orphanage, not everybody made it out out of it. Uh, I was very lucky for a lot of reasons. So just kind of in a nutshell, so people get a sense of what we are conversing about, is that 
as a very young child, your father essentially kidnapped you. I mean, I think you would definitely, you've called it kidnapping. You were only three years old, and then he told you your mother had died. So you, you were on this very tumultuous early life. It was, a, you know, it was looking back at it, and I must say, I, I had trouble writing the first draft of my early life. My daughter had to do it. She's a writer. She works with TED Talks, and she had to do the first draft. I, I really couldn't, because at 18 years old, I decided I was going to bury my background forever. And when people asked me, I said, no, my father's a merchant marine. Mother died when I was three, and that's the end of the story. I, I refused to discuss it. A little bit of denial really helps, because you, know, you have to get into all that, and then have to go back over which was a you know very difficult period for me as a youngster, and my my mother, when my mother and father got divorced, and people didn't get divorced in 1939, it's very rare. When she took me to her family from Los Angeles, she, when we arrived in St. Louis, we were not welcome at all. So when my father came to visit, and he saw that I was basically unkept, as he said, and I don't know that for a fact, he decided you know to kidnap me, to take me back to, to Los Angeles, and he told my mother not to look for me. At that point in time, you know, she felt that she wasn't welcome in her home with, you know, her father was not excited about her getting divorced, and he wasn't excited about having two more mouths to feed. So she felt that base guy might be better off with my father. She was a thinker and not a feeler, and my father was a feeler and not a thinker. So he didn't, he didn't realize taking a three-year-old home was quite a responsibility. And she was saying, well, you know, he's better off with his father, so she never looked for me. And uh, but she had legal custody. My father did not have legal legal custody, so it was a very unusual situation, that's for sure. And of course, when he was called away to the war, you know, I ended up you know alone, really. And I have been alone. You know, I was alone for my first 18 years. I I tell the story that my both my grammar school, high school, and college graduations, nobody came because I have no siblings, no aunts, no uncles. I didn't that I knew of, and my father was at sea during all those periods. And of course, my mother was supposedly dead. So it was a very, you know, it, but, it, but those, those disadvantages became advantages in later life. I mean, when you're alone, you become self-reliant pretty quickly. And self-reliance is a real, a real quality that can help you in life. Those are the kinds of things that I want to communicate to young people, especially kids from foster homes. They've got some qualities that other kids just, their children don't have. They have, you know, adaptability. When, you, when you're when you alone, you go to one place. I was in five foster homes. When you go from one to the other, you have to adapt. And after a while, you, you develop a talent for adapting. In fact, you almost seek change, and that helps you a lot in life. So, well, you're not afraid of change anyway. And and it's Be careful, Kate. I go on and on. <laughs> well, <laughs> well and, and it's all so important, Ed, and that's why, well, we should mention there is the book, as you said, it's been very successful, On the Road, Less Traveled, and it is available. So by all means, I'm sure that parts of this story are going to resonate with so many people. Maybe many parts will. So the book, of course, is available at any of our favorite book sources, right? And, uh, Amazon has it. You can, you can actually go to my www.edhadrian. There's a button you can push and buy it. And if you want to question it, you go to the Amazon, to the reviews. There have been 190 reviews of the book by various people, and you can read the reviews if you'd like to, to encourage you to buy it. I'd, I'd appreciate it if you do buy it. If you do give me a review, it's important I get reviews from people. But it's on Amazon. It's also at Simon & Schuster, and it's in a great number of bookstores. So, 
Yes. So this is really such a great book for any of us to really get inspired at any time. And, you know, as I think about this time of the year, we're looking forward to actually graduation time. What a perfect gift this would be for a high school graduate, for a college graduate, to really encourage them. You, you, you're, you're reading my day work today. I have 500 book plates to sign because I'm making a, a commencement speech at a university and they wanted to get my book out, but they want me to sign each one of them. But I can't do that, so I, I have 500 book plates to sign my name on. <laughs> and, and I am giving a high school graduation speech on May the 18th as well, and there's another couple hundred books that, that they're distributing to their, their students. My, my publicist, who laughs and says she has a modest goal, she wants every high school and college, every high school senior, every college freshman to read it. So we've we got a long way to go. <laughs> well, you're always working on goals, right? So isn't this oh, a great... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think when I get young people to read it, they say, you know, that, that, that helped me, and that makes me feel good. So that's what it's all about. So, And that's the, the... The book is so readable. It's really... I think young people definitely can immerse themselves in it because it feels like just having a, a chat with you, you're storytelling to us. It's it's very comfortable. And I've been very lucky. I mean, you read my life history. And, I mean, there's some really good stories of how I met my wife, how I found my mother. You know, these are these are rather unusual. And, and, and but as you say, people relate to them. I could write a book on the people writing back to me and telling me about their lives. So maybe there's another book in your future. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> there's two more, actually. This one took me seven years, and I have two other manuscripts which I've worked on and various things that I'm working on. The final part of my book called The, the Four Ps, I have a book written on The Four Ps, and that's going to be the next thing I publish. Which is great. And those four Ps really relate. So we're jumping way into your life. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's okay. Because it, it shows how, you know, you had this really rough and tumble uh, young life through school. You managed to get through that. And now, way into the future, you're using those experiences to really mentor and help other young students. I, I, you know, I divide life into four parts, self, family, work, and community. Community is my, my word for giving back, and I think that at a certain point in your life, you have to start giving back, and I'm lucky to have lived this long, so I can really concentrate on giving back, and this is my, my way of giving back, giving people, you know, little messages like, you know, never be, never be a victim. You know, when you get into difficulty and it's not your fault, you, can, you have a choice. You can either be a victim or use that energy to go to do what's next. If you look in my lifetime, in a couple very, very, very difficult periods, I, instead of being a victim, I went forward and did, did the next thing, and that worked out really well. When I, when I was turned down by all the golf courses in Nantucket and all the, all the clubs in Nantucket, I went out and built my own, and it's been a great, great success. And Nantucket Golf Club has not only been one of the – it was rated – it was rated the top club built – in 1997, but we've become the largest charity on the island. And we send two kids to academic scholarships every year and seven uh, uh, vocational scholarships. So it's, it's a, we've really won the island over and we've changed the lives of a lot of families. So, you know, and I could have just complained about it and, you know, been annoyed and so forth, but I went on and I said, okay, 
you can't join, you're going to build your own. And I had a lot of fun with that. <laughs> Same thing with the, in the middle of my life. I, at Lehman Brothers, I worked for seven years. I did everything right. I have to be immodest by saying that. I really did a good job, but the boss and I did not get along. He was not a, uh, you'll read the book about him. He's well known. A lot of books were written on Anyway, he and I had a, a, a problem, and so we, I left. And instead of fighting him, which I could have, I went on to the next thing, and it was really a breakthrough for me because I got a chance to, to run my own company, which is what I really wanted wanted to do. So never be a victim. You know, there, there are these messages. One, the main message in the book is anything is possible. That's really, you know, you're only limited by your imagination and how hard you want to work in America. You can have bad breaks. You know, I had some good, very good breaks. I, I married the right woman, but I'm still married to for 56 years. So, that, you know, those, those kinds of things are good breaks. But And, and I was born at the right time. You know, I was born at a time when there were very few, you know, live births at that point in time. So I'm in a cohort of people that, you know, have basically less competition than it is today. So you have to have some luck. But, you know, it's working hard and keeping your imagination open and always asking what's next and keep moving forward. And I could just see, though, and I think I see it today playing out with so many of our youth and older people, too, but with kids that there are just so many dire situations, you seem to be almost like a philosopher from a young age that you could, you seem to observe things. You seem to have an understanding of your dad that you you could kind of have peace with where, you know, kids wouldn't think other than being bitter and, and then get into a lot of trouble and really create havoc for themselves. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the second ghostwriter was a lovely lady, but she wanted me to hate my father. And I said, I didn't hate my father. In fact, luckily, I didn't hate my father. I, I, but later on in life, I understood my father. I mean, you know, he, he had a very difficult life. You know, he came from nothing. By 1929, he was quite wealthy. But even, you know, see the, in the book that shows him with his airplane, and he had huge he had buildings in New York and, you know, so forth and so on. But the next four years, between 29 and 33, he lost everything. I mean, really everything, including he lost his mother. He was much, much closer to his mother than his father, and she died. And she didn't. She died basically because of the Depression. She was a very important person in the neighborhood, and things got so awful that she really took her life. And she didn't take her own life. She just, she just died. And so he lost everything in that period and, you know, and, and struggled for the rest of his life. And so it was very difficult. He had a difficult personality, but, again, that wasn't his fault because he was, only, he was brought up that way. He was brought up with the fact that men were the only thing in the household and my mother couldn't work and she could and he wanted her to do it you know take care of the children in the house and cook his way he was a vegetarian and so forth so he was a difficult guy but that wasn't his fault either that's how he was brought up so you know i understood that and it was very important so kids start to understand that it's not simple for their parents either you know life's not simple and so that that kind of understanding early on now i was bitter for a while and in in my early 20s early 20s, early 30s, he and I got pretty separated because he not only disagreed with everything that I was doing, disagreed when I left the Navy, he disagreed when I left engineering to go to graduate school, and when I met my wife, he disagreed with that too because it turns out I didn't know it, but she looks a little like my mother. <laughs> so I had never seen a picture of my mother, so I didn't know that. And so that, and he didn't quite get along with my wife, which was kind of sad. He didn't reject her, he just never accepted her. So... But those are the kinds of things you have. That's why the four P's are important. You sit down and 
develop a language with yourself and constantly talk to yourself. And that's what we all do. And try to understand when you get into difficulty, you know, why you got into difficulty, how to get out of it. That's, that's a, a big mouthful. My daughter always says, you answer the questions too long, Dad. No, give Give the questioner a chance. So I'm sorry, Kate. <laughs> no, to me, you are the the guest that has the whole story. I just want to ask questions here and there for you to reveal as much as we can in, in this sh- very short period of time, a half hour, about a life that's just been so phenomenal, and it's and it's so the story is so important to tell at a time when there is so much struggle and and so many challenges. And I I think about our foster care system and so many youth who are either homeless and and go into homelessness because of bad situations in foster care, but somehow here your story is such encouragement and that's why I feel we need to share it. Yeah, just just to recognize that anything is possible. And I can even add to that, you know, the picture of me. When I was, you know, in, in the book it'll say when I was 10 years old, I was 66 pounds, you know, four and a half feet. When I got into high school, I was, I was not five feet and I, I didn't weigh 80 pounds. I was a little tiny guy. Luckily, in my junior, sophomore and junior year in high school, I did grow. But I even had the diminutive problem where, you know, when you're a little guy in the schoolyard, it wasn't fun. <laughs> you got pushed around a little bit. But each one of those things, by the way, that's what I want. I tell people, I'm a member of Horatio Alger, and I tell the kids there that they have some advantages. They, they have this adaptability because they've had to adapt to very difficult situations. They develop a certain resilience because they have to go through they develop perseverance. They develop self-reliance. You know, those are the positive. And then I must say, even they, you do develop anger when you're a foster child. because You're always asking yourself, why me? And that, I tell young people, I said, take that anger and direct it toward being successful instead of outwardly. Direct it internally and help it to drive you to do what you want to do. Now, I couldn't do it all the time. It comes out, you know, sometimes when I'm playing sports or something, I annoyed at something or get angry about something because, it, you know, even though it doesn't have anything to do with it, you do get angry because you are angry. And you, you have good reason to be angry because you look around and say, why me? Why am I poor? Why don't I have a place to live? Why don't I have a mother and father? I mean, I always complained. My biggest complaint was I never learned to ride a bicycle. I never learned to swim until I was, you know, in my 20s, you know, and because that, no other kids had that. So it, it makes you angry. And, you know, it, I was angry for not being visited on Sundays and things like that. But if you recognize that on Sunday afternoon, you get a little bit low or depressed, it's because of that. And so you, you can cope with it. And that's why I say this conversation with yourself is so important for people from foster homes. And by the way, this book has opened up things for me. I'm involved now in a group in, in Boston called Wiley. They have 75 kids in very good schools, MIT, Tufts, Harvard, places like that. And this group provides counseling for these kids. In fact, once the kid signs on with Wiley, they must talk to their counselor once a week, which is wonderful. And of course, Wiley became vital during COVID because these kids had no place to go and why they helped place them in, in places around Boston. So, so I'm, but I'm involved with that now. And that, that was not available to me prior to the book. I was being discovered foster care week, by the way, is in May. And we're working on that now with a number of universities, getting the, their the foster kids at their college to hear my story and give them an inspiration as to, you know, if he did it, you can do it. 
And like you said, that self-talk is so important. We're doing it all the time, whether we're really right. conscious of it or not. And it's just to recognize then what what is the thing that I'm saying to myself? What's that language? And, and begin to take control of it. Ah, boy, Kate, you're right on. If you can say to yourself, I can do it, I can make it, you know, I can do it. Or if I don't do it, then I fail. I, I believe early failure is a gift. My, I have an expression, there's only two kinds of results. One is success and the other is experience. And that really is very important. Failure doesn't, it shouldn't be bothered. Later on, why failure is bad. But early on, when you fail, in my book, you'll see I failed very early. And it was good for me because I learned an awful lot from that. Uh, but you got if you talk to yourself, you've got to spur yourself on and, and be willing to fail. You know, be willing to reach and fail. That's okay. Learn from it and go on. And, you know, that's why I'm one of my mini crusades is, is vocational education. I wish I could call it something else. I want kids to, one of my P's, exercise their passion. Find what they want to do. You know, and go and do it. You know, at the, at the club, we have we have two scholarship students who are going to be chefs. They want to be a chef. You know, to go to Johnson Wells costs you $40,000 a year. We provide that money. And it's good for the kid becomes a chef. He's happy. You know, instead of studying something he really doesn't understand or doesn't want to understand, you know, and, and they have to reach for it. They have to figure out what they wanted. I wasn't sure whether I want to be a physicist or an engineer. So I took a physics course with physicists. I found it very quickly that, I didn't want to be a physicist, and that was very important. So I tell people to never waste their summers, always try to get experience, and these kinds of things will allow you then eventually to exercise your passion and have it give you a greater chance to get where you want to go. So you have three children, adult children now. So with your own children, how did that feel for you, instilling in them that kind of drive and passion and having opportunities? I made, and I'll be very clear, I made a mistake initially. I tried to give them everything. You know, the best schools, the best this, the best that. Somewhere, and after my older son sort of reacted a little bit, I started to actually try to make them uncomfortable, you know, which is basically make sure they work every summer, send them to Outward Bound, send them to Knowles. Knowles is National Outdoor Leadership School. My, my grandson spent 30 days in the rain in, in, in Alaska with another group of kids very healthy experience. My daughter spent, you know, a couple, three weeks in the Baja with eight other girls on a, in, in a canoe and, and rafts and so forth. That's very, I, I went down the Green River with my son on a raft, you know, where we were, you know, sleeping on the ground for four days. You have to, you know, when you don't have it like I had it, I mean, I could, I had no choice. But if you have children like I had children, you've got to make, push them to do things that make them on their own. Kids being on their own, they're, they're unbelievably capable. They can do all kinds of things that no one believes. But if you're constantly catching them or helping them, you're not helping them that much. You should let them alone. So we try to, you know, get them to do things by themselves. Almost every summer, we would send them away to someplace. You know, our kids went to camp when they were eight years old, because I wanted to be eight years, eight weeks. That's good for me, too. Good for the parents. So those are the kinds of little tricks that you use, uh, you know, to I, I, I use the example on vacation, one of the, our favorite vacations. We used to go skiing and so forth, but the favorite vacation is on a boat in the Caribbean. The difference, you go to a little catamaran or something, you, you and your children get on that boat. Guess what happens at night? They can't get away. So you get a chance to really talk. And in those cases, I used to have them each read a book, which we, we would discuss. Something like, you know, a book like Who Moved My Cheese or If 
or, or The Secret or something like that. And we sit around and discuss that. So there are things like that uh, that you can take your children to do them. But the most important thing is, is that summer experience or the going away to school or jobs, real life as early as possible where they're on their own. I think the best thing that ever happened to my daughter is one summer she drove an ice cream truck. And I'll tell you, there's a job that everybody should have. Because every day you've got to sell the whole truck's content. Because if you come back the next morning with any ice cream, you know, they take a truck away. So it's, a, it's those kinds of experiences are the ones. I mean, I go back to my own experience. I, I worked on the St. Lawrence Seaway one summer, you know, and I, that, that same summer I came back and I worked on a high boy hamburger. All those jobs that I had and, and were very, very instructive and teaches you about what it's all about. So, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to make believe if you're really comfortable, you have a great, you know, great desire to make your children comfortable or, or quote unquote, give them something you didn't have. And you know, in some respect, you're stealing from them. You're stealing from them the, the real opportunity that they can do it on their own. And so you have to make those examples, or like I talked about, certain organizations that do it. I mean, Outward Bound and Knowles are fabulous. They, they take the kids out into the wilderness. They teach them to, to be self-reliant and so forth. And so that's the kind of thing. But jobs help a lot, too. When you have a real job or you're working someplace, it really helps. But, and I, my kids, were, I, they're, they're good kids. I, each, they all have master's degrees. One is, a, one is a filmmaker, one's an architect and a builder. And the third one went to Harvard Business School, worked in the financial industry, and now she's a, a curator for TED Talks because she really has great excitement about coming in contact with all kinds of interesting people. And she was able to collaborate with you on writing this book. How exciting oh, yeah. is that yeah. to have that happen? Oh, no. She, she, if she didn't have a really serious job, she would have written the book, I'm sure. She's a very good writer. My wife helped, too. My wife wrote a section of the book, too. It was a, it was a real, what they call in, in, in the Middle East, in Nigeria. It was really a trip. I mean, it was seven years of struggle. Three, oh, four ghostwriters uh, had some bad luck with, with one, a couple of them that, that either they didn't have my voice or one actually had a, a personal problem. She had to stop. And so when I finally found one young... One, one gentleman who kept following me around said, so I'm going to write your book. And so I gave it to him, and then COVID came along, and we got the book done very quickly. It's, a, it's also writing a book is a great experience. The reason, the reason I want older people to read this book is that everybody should at least take some notes down. Writing down what you want to convey and thinking and figuring out how the reader is going to react to it is a very good experience. Also, for me, separating facts from what I remember was very important. My father kept all my letters for some crazy reason, and I kept all his letters. And so we put them out on a big table, and we actually got some facts that I, you know, I didn't realize. I learned about my background. I mean, I really had buried it to the point that I didn't remember a lot of things. So it was very healthy. It's a very healthy experience to write things down. Writing is really the only real form of, you know, definite communication. I think that's a, an experience. And that is a bit of a loss, maybe a big loss we have today in that we really don't write letters. We're sending emails. We're sending texts. And we we don't have that historical uh, content to just store away in a box for future generations. Boy, Kate, you, you, you sing into the choir. I, I, really, I mean, I read back and read my letters. I mean, I, I really, it was very important to see. That's what I felt. I wrote it down. And it was long letters. And and. Very important. My father wrote me letters, not so long, but he wrote me letters to him, so I understood what, what he was trying to do. And today you're right, we don't have that. And it's a mistake. I think writing 
is one of the really important things you do. And say, I, I have a diary which I eventually get to every every you know every two weeks. I sit down and write things down because I found that writing is one of the things that really is very important because it's a real way of communicating to, with yourself. If you write something down and look at it and say, is that what I mean? <laughs> right. Well, your writing is just so engaging. The story is gripping. I think any of us can relate to any or many parts of it on the road less traveled, an unlikely journey from the orphanage to the boardroom, Ed Hey Jim. It is just just so wonderful to have this story. I'm so grateful that you were encouraged to write this book and that it is now available for all of us. Let's again mention your website. www.edhagem.com. Very easy. Ed Hagem. I'm the only Hagems in the world. My daughter thinks she's found somebody in a prison in Morocco, but we're the only H A J I M are five letters that don't exist except my family. So uh, so it's www.edhagem. By the way, if you do read the book, I really my publisher would really appreciate it if you go to Amazon and give us a, a little bit of a review. One one line is enough, and a rating that really helps us out. Well, let's definitely do that, and let's be looking forward to the next book. The four P's is really something, P's. right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Well, you are nothing but amazing, and such oh, encouragement. Oh, you're delightful. <laughs> we, we really do think alike. I mean, I. I very half an hour, I can I feel communing with you very well. Oh, it, it's been wonderful, and I wish we had more time, but maybe we'll just have to make another date. All right. <laughs> and enjoy the weekend. And you as well.